And also I want to mention there's a men's retreat, and that'll be the, in October, the following month, and we also have a sign-up sheet out there. And the title of the men's retreat, the theme of it, is taken from an old hymn, Rise Up, O Man of God. And I think it's time for men to stop walking in mediocrity and to start standing up for the Lord and walking in the dignity of God and being the kind of, uh, of men God has intended us to be. So I really encourage you to sign up. Once again, it's at the same place the ladies' retreat is, only the following month. And we set it up in such a way that people don't have to take any time off of work. It starts Friday at 5, and it'll end Saturday uh, at noon. And as Jill mentioned, it's the same for the men. It's $96, and it includes, um, you know, supper Friday night, breakfast Saturday, lunch Saturday, and that also includes your, uh, you know, your lodging. And um, so we really do encourage you to come. The only difference is that with the women, you can sign up what room you're going to be in, but for the men, we're going to be military, and I'm going to assign what room you're in. No, just joking. But just make sure you sign up, okay? Uh, we really need to know how many are coming within the next few weeks because we had to make a deposit on uh, both the men's and women's retreat, and it's based on the numbers that are coming. So make sure if you're coming, you sign up for it. I'd really, really appreciate it. And um, also I want to mention the fact that uh, we're having a uh, pastor's conference coming up in September, and the speakers will be John Randall, if you listen to the Calvary Station, and Joe Foch, and uh, also uh, Doug McLeod. I'm not really familiar with him, but I guess he's a, a tremendous speaker. And so I encourage you to um, um, think about signing up for that as well. We'll have uh, flyers. I actually received a flyer in the mail. We have to make copies, and we'll have flyers out probably by next week. And also there are church directories out there, and so we've done directories that have your names and numbers and all that kind of thing in there. And it's just for church, and it's only for church use. And it's really nice when you're trying to find someone in the fellowship and you can just look their, their, you know, their name up. And um, also, um, the tabernacle up here, that uh, it's uh, like one young man told us that it's Christian Legos for Vi and I. But we put this um, tabernacle together, all these different pieces. But the tabernacle in the wilderness is, is, is such a testimony of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And so we have these sheets here, and it explains both sides, and it explains how the tabernacle and salvation through Jesus Christ, how the tabernacle was laying out the way that Jesus would bring salvation to the church. And so we encourage you to grab one of those as well. Okay, I think that's um, all the announcements we have to make. But I want to mention the fact that, um, you know, we have uh, college starting, in a couple weeks, and uh, for some, uh, it starts this week. So I'm going to really, really embarrass all you guys that are going to college and have you stand. Now, um, stand up. Olivia's going to actually start dental school this year, so we're going to include you too, Olivia. You know, I know you graduated starting. And where's my granddaughter, Taylor? Is she not standing back there, or does she disappear? She was downstairs. Okay. But anyway, we have two sophomores, and one's going to be going to dental school. And, of course, uh, um, Joseph isn't here, but he'll be starting uh, as a freshman. And I just want to encourage you, young people, you're going into a very... Um, you're going into institutions that really do not lift up the name of God. 
And you're to be his witnesses there. You're to be his witnesses. And I, I want to pray for you. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name, and I thank you so much for these young people and for the efforts that they've put in to go to college and to go to graduate school. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would use them as your ambassadors and as your ministers. And, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just empower them to do your work in a place that is filled with darkness. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. And I don't say that to be critical, but it's, it's really true. I mean, most of our colleges are very atheistic, and they try to make it seem like if you're a Christian, then you're, you can't be intellectual, you can't be, an, you know what I'm saying? But that's not true. Because atheism is the most ignorant, you know, is the most, <laughs> is the most illogical philosophy that anyone could have in life. The only thing that makes sense is the fact that we have a creator. And the Creator created us for a purpose, and that's to worship and to serve Him. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and I thank you so much for this portion of Scripture, and I pray that you would use it to minister to our hearts and and to our souls and, and use it to encourage us in all your ways. Because, Father, our desire is to be a light in this dark world, to to be sensed in a senseless world. And I pray, Father, that you would come and anoint and use me to minister to these your precious people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And we're going to be picking up in Leviticus chapter 8, starting with verse 14. Leviticus 8 and verse 14. Leviticus 8, 14. Before we get started, I want to mention, and Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned this in in the first service, you know, we've had some tragedies that have taken place in our nation. In El Paso, Texas, yesterday there were 20 people that were murdered and 25 that are put in the hospital. And some of you, maybe you don't know this, that there was another shooting uh, in Ohio. And so far there's 12 dead. And I don't know how many that are, um, you know, uh, in the hospital. And what it really points out to, brothers and sisters, that we live in a very evil world. You know, at one time, the United States of America at least had as its moral foundation Christianity. I mean, we based our, our, uh, our constitution, we based our law on the commandments of God. But God has been taken out of the schools. God has been taken out of people's lives. It's been taken out of our governments. And so consequently, what we're seeing is the outcome of all that. And so we as believers have more of a responsibility to be the light of the world than possibly any other time in history. When you see what's going on, we need to stand for the truth because we have to understand that the very nature of God is love. Did you know that? You know, God brings judgment on an unbelieving world in the last days, and we'll maybe talk about that for a moment. But God is love. That's his nature. And we love him because he first loved us and because we you know, have his love abiding in our heart through the Holy Spirit. We're to love others the same. You know, think about what the law is all hinged on. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart soul and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That hinges all the law and the prophets. So our purpose is to love. And the reality is that there is so much hatred that is being sown in the world, so many seeds of hatred that are being sown in the world. 
You know, the thing we have to understand as Christians, we have to and must realize that we're all God's children. It makes no difference what nation we come from or what our ethnic background is. We're all God's children. And he has called us to live together in peace. But that can only be accomplished in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of God. But what we're seeing happening in the world is what was prophesied. As a matter of fact, it tells us that in the last days that men are going to become exceedingly wicked, lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And that's what we're seeing in the world today. And there's never been a time that the light is more necessary. The darker the room, the brighter the light seems. And so we have to understand that we need to be the light of the world. We need to be willing to share our faith with those around us. We cannot be so uh, conceited in a sense that we don't want people to think badly of us. I don't want them to think this. I'm just going to kind of be quiet. You know what? We need to be willing to lay it all out for the Lord. I don't care, you know, if I look like a fool. I'm just going to be God's servant. Now, I'm not talking about walking into, uh, you know, your workplace tomorrow and saying, hey, everybody, I just want to let you know you're all going to hell. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. That doesn't please the Lord. That's not the way the Lord operates. He works one-on-one. You just love the Lord and you love people. And it's amazing how God is able to work through our hearts when we just show this, you know, and express this kind of love to the lost around us. People don't understand that Christians aren't, you know, some kind of bigoted, you know, judgmental, at least we shouldn't be, people. We're, we should be the most loving, accepting people in the world. God loved us, didn't he? While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an amazing thing. And this portion of Scripture is all about God's love, because we have to understand that what we read in the Old Testament was just preparing the way for the new, you know, for the new covenant, for the, for the coming of Jesus Christ. And um, any of you, if you weren't here last week, you know, Vi and I, we, this is actually a replica of the tabernacle. The real tabernacle in the wilderness was 75 feet, our, our measurements, across and 150 feet deep. And you can even take this off because we're sanctified in Jesus Christ so we can go in, into the holy place and the holy of holies but uh, that was a joke but anyway you can look in here and you can see all you know the the candelabra the you know menorah the table showbread and the altar of incense and even in here the holy of holies ark of the covenant and even if you lift the little ark up it has Moses rod that butted it and the, and the manna and um, and also the what was the other thing do what the tablets of the commandments of God, the law. So they're all in there as well. So just take a look at it when you get a chance. And um, we're going to be looking in this portion of Scripture and finding that there is a difference between being purified and being consecrated. Now, oftentimes we, we kind of lump those together. But this portion of Scripture shows us the separation and the difference between purification and consecration. And I, I think it's going to be a blessing to us. And um, because we have to understand that a sacrifice had to be purified before it could be consecrated. And the same is true of us. We have to be purified before we can be consecrated. You can't go out and do the work of the Lord until you're born again of the Spirit. 
He has to be purified by the Holy Spirit before he can be consecrated to do the work of the ministry. And that's what we're going to be looking at here. Now, God's eternal plan was not only for our salvation, but that we might live a holy and righteous life. Now, understand, God desires us to live a holy and righteous life, not to feel good about ourselves and to think, oh, look at how good and holy and righteous I am. God desires for us to live a holy and righteous life for two reasons. Number one, as an expression of our love and fellowship with him, but number two, that we might minister to the world around us. Because when people see the Holy Spirit in us, in, an, in our lives, and the way we respond to others, it opens a door to salvation. It opens a door for us to be able to share with them the truth you know, of God's word. Now, um, God's eternal plan was not only, as I mentioned, for our salvation, but for us to be holy, to live holy lives. And in uh, Hebrews 9.22, it says this, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Now listen to this. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And so when we read about all these sacrifices and about the blood being shed because the life of an animal, the life of a man is in its blood. And Jesus' blood was shed. His life was shed that we might live. And so when we look at this, we realize that according to the law, it tells us. And now in the Old Covenant, it was the sacrifice of animals. It was the blood of animals that gave temporary, at least partial, uh, you know, forgiveness of sin. But in Jesus Christ, it was his shed blood that gives permanent and complete remission of sin. And what a blessing that is. And then in, in uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So you and I as believers are called to seek after holiness. And as I mentioned earlier, it's not just so we feel good about ourselves, look how holy I am. It is so we can minister and be a light and a witness to the world around us. But we have to understand what holiness is. Holiness isn't being perfect. There's only one who walked this world who was perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. But holiness is seeking after the Lord. It's loving him, desiring to follow his precepts. It's a matter of trying to be obedient to his commands that he's given us, and his commands are for our good, you understand. His commands aren't for our uh, you know, demise, but it's for our good. People who walk according to the precepts of God have more joy and more peace in their life than anyone else. You look at the world around us. Look at these tragic shootings that have taken place. Our world is falling apart. This world is in desperate need, maybe more than any other time in history, for the knowledge of Jesus Christ, for the salvation that comes freely to all who call upon his name. And we are the ambassadors of this truth. But we have to understand, we can't allow ourselves to fall into some kind of false holiness. You know, like, look at me. You know, I walk a certain way, and I talk a certain way, and I, I hold my hands like this so you know there's no violence in me. And, and I do, you know, and, and we think just being, a, and it's all about us. Look how holy I am. Let me tell you something. Holiness is just regular people like you and I seeking after and loving Jesus. And desiring to hear his voice. 
And here's something we have to understand, too, because people say, well, what's the difference then between holiness and legalism? Here's holiness. God has shown me that these are certain things that I should be doing in my life. That's holiness. I desire to obey what God has shown me to do. Now, if I take those things that God has shown me that I really need to be doing in my life, and I try to press them on you and say, you should be doing these things, now we have legalism. Now we have religion. It's just all man-made rules and regulations that we put together. You know, I, I remember years ago, um, years ago, uh, there was a young woman in our church, and actually she's not a young woman anymore. In fact, it's your mom, Bethany. <laughs> and uh, um, this is years ago, and, and uh, she was probably your age. And anyway, may, maybe even younger than you. And the Lord had put it on her heart to stop chewing gum. Now, it sounds silly, right? What's, what's wrong with chewing gum? Well, really, in itself, there's nothing wrong with chewing gum. But, you know, for Amy, what the Lord was showing her is, number one, it was a waste of money because she was chewing a lot of gum and she was in graduate school at SU at the time and couldn't afford to be spending money like that. And also that uh, it was affecting her jaws, you know, chewing gum like that all the time. So the Lord had put it on her heart to not chew gum. Now, for Amy, a personal statement of holiness was her not chewing gum. That was between her and the Lord. Now, if she went around to everyone in the church and said, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't chew gum. Do you follow what I'm saying? Now you have legalism, and you set some kind of religious standard, and you start having religion. That's what religion is all about. You know, we, we have all these different groups out there. You know, we have Charismatics, we have Pentecostals, and we have Calvinists, and we have Arminians, and we have Futurists, and we have Preterists, and we have this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. You know what? God doesn't see any of that. He doesn't say, you know, I just love my, Calvi you know, my Calvinistic group. God doesn't work that way. These are all man-made regulations and rules and doctrines that we have established. We have the Word of God. And that's why I love it, and I've shared this with you before. Every once in a while, I'll have someone who's been attending our church for maybe six, seven months, and they'll come up to me and they'll say, Hey, Pastor, what are we? <laughs> what? No, what are we? I mean, are, are we? And I tell them, we're Bible-believing Christians. We stand in the Word of God and the Word of God alone. And so we have to realize that in this particular portion of scripture god is anointing through moses aaron and his sons to be priests as mediators in order to bring people into a relationship with god okay so we're in leviticus 8 starting with verse 14 and he brought the bull of the sin offering then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. And remember, laying your hands, like when the people laid their hands on the sacrifice, it is confessing the sin as being your own. In other words, this is for me, I'm a sinner. And Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and he put some uh, on the horns of the altar and all, ar uh, all around with his fingers, with his finger, and he purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it. See, one was purifying the altar, the other was consecrating it to service, to usefulness, to make atonement for it, for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and uh, to the two kidneys, 
with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. Do you ever wonder what fatty globes of the, you know, of the liver and the kidneys had to do? I mean, it's always mentioned all through Leviticus. But the bull had tied his flesh and his oracle. He burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around the altar, and he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. See, the first one was for the forgiveness of sin, and now the next one is for the consecration to ministry. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. He also took some of the blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And you're thinking, what in the world does that mean? We'll find out. It has great meaning. Verse 24, then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hand, and on the big toe of their feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobes attached to the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake. Remember, unleavened bread indicated the removal of sin. Leaven is always analogous to sin in Scripture. Unleavened means the removal of sin. A cake of bread anointed with oil. The Holy Spirit is, was always represented with oil. And one wafer and put them on the fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands, and he waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands, and he burned them on the altar on the burnt offering. They were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it was Moses' part of the ram of consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. Wow. You read that and you think, what? What does that mean? Well, first, Moses was acting as a mediator, establishing the covenant of the high priesthood through Aaron and his sons. And the very purpose of the priesthood was that the priest would be an intercessor between God and man. Because of sin, man was not able to go right to God. No one can see God and live. And so consequently, the people needed an intercessor. And so this priesthood was established so the people would go to the priest and offer their sacrifice for sin, you know, place their hands on it, confessing the sin as their own, and then the priest would take the sacrifice and purify it and consecrate it and offer it up to God for the sins of the people. And then the Lord would bring forgiveness to the people. So, you see, that's the purpose of a priest, is to be a mediator between man and God. Now, what we have to realize is it tells us in, in Matthew, um, you know, chapter 5 and verse 17, 
Well, let me just say this first. When we read this particular portion of Scripture, we find that the high priest and his sons, the other priests, they had to be cleansed of sin themselves. They had to be purified themselves. Our high priest was pure in himself. Jesus Christ was without sin. He walked this terrestrial ball, and he never fell to the sin of this world, to the temptations of this world. He was tempted in every way, Scripture says, doesn't it? As we were, as we are, but he never sinned. So he didn't need that kind of, of purification. But Jesus Christ submitted himself to what was considered the purifying process of baptism, not because he needed to be purified, but that he might fulfill the law. We have to understand Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, or chapter 5, verse 17, do not think, Jesus is, is speaking, that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he did this on our behalf. He did this for us in order that we might be consecrated to service to the Lord. And, um, and, and you know, it's interesting because in a very real sense, all of this took place at his baptism. Do you recall that his baptism was the beginning of his ministry? He was baptized, and we're going to read about it in a moment. He rose out of the water, God spoke, and he went into the wilderness where he was, you know, tempted for 40 days and 40 nights to be, you know, to be tested for his service to the Lord, and that's when his ministry began. But open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, and go to verse 15. Now, it's such an amazing thing. Now, I don't know if you understand, if you, all of you knew this, I'm sure you did, but John the Baptist was Christ's cousin. They were cousins. Remember when Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy and Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she went and stayed with her cousin Elizabeth for three months. And so they knew each other. They would have known one another. And so when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized, remember John went out into the wilderness? In fact, we don't know how young he was when he went out into the wilderness. He lived on, on locusts and, 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 and honey. And he began baptizing people into repentance for the remission of sin. And... Um, People were coming from all over to be baptized. And when he saw Jesus coming, he goes, whoa, no, 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 I need to be baptized by you. Well, keep in mind, very likely, he knew Jesus their whole life. They were only six months apart in age. And so he watched Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I look at some of my cousins, and I'd never think, you're Jesus. I'd never think, you're without sin. You know what I'm saying? But he knew Jesus was without sin. He said, look, it, you know, I need to be baptized by you. But this is what Jesus spoke back to him, starting with verse 15 in chapter 3 of Matthew. But Jesus answered and said to him, to John the Baptist, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fill all righteousness. In other words, the law. He had to fulfill, had, had to fill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, and when he had been baptized, purified, you see the, the correlation between this and what we're reading about in Leviticus? 
uh, being baptized, purified, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and and alighting upon him. Consecration. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, Can you imagine? Guys, can you imagine if you were there? I mean, God spoke from heaven. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that was the pronouncement of God's acceptance and his call into the ministry. God works the same way with us. Now, as believers, we go through a similar process. But first, it starts with our being willing to confess our sin. Understand, many people have a difficult time with this. Well, I'm, I'm not that bad a person. Well, I, I'm, really not, I'm really kind of a good person. No, you're not. You're a sinner. You're a sinner, and the only way you're going to be saved is by the grace and mercy of God, not because of any intrinsic morality of your own. So grace and mercy of God, that's why you're forgiven. And so we need to go to the Lord and say, forgive me a sinner. You know, so many think salvation is such a difficult process, but it's not. But before anyone can come to salvation, they have to understand their need. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, the well have no need of a physician. In other words, he was implying only the sick need a physician. But here's the point. They were all sick. They were all sinners. But he was making the point that only those who are sick recognize their need. You know, you know how it is for, for many of us. Oh, man, I've got my physical coming up. I feel great. I'm, I'm going to postpone it for a while. But guess what? You wake up in the morning and your throat sticks thick and you, it hurts. And, you know, you don't feel good and you have a fever. Where's the doctor's number? You, know? you realize your need. We have to come to a place of realizing our need. We're sick sinners. And when we came to that place where we recognized our need, that's when we cried out to Jesus Christ, God, forgive me a sinner. That's how simple salvation is. God, forgive me a sinner. Take over my life. I don't want to live for myself any longer. I want to live for you. And the Lord does it because he's such a merciful, loving, and kind God. Now, but we have to understand that that cannot happen until we're willing to confess our sins. Even as believers, we can have unconfessed sin. Now, it doesn't affect our salvation. We're still saved. We're going to heaven. But it affects our relationship with the Lord and our service to him and to others. And so we have to be willing to say, you know what, Lord? I've justified this, and I've tried to purify this in my own long enough. And I just offer it up to you, Lord. Forgive me, a sinner. And the Lord is able to take that. And make you know we had our men's breakfast yesterday, and um, one of the things we're talking about is how in the church today so many things have just become accepted, just accepted. Well, we really love each other. Wonderful, I'm glad you do. But if what you're doing is what you're saying you're doing, it's still fornication and it's still sin. You know what I'm saying? Well. You know, every once in a while I let my hair down and, you know, drink a little bit too much. That's getting drunk. 
There's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine. But if you drink in excess and you become intoxicated, it's sin. There's so many things in this world that we just justify today, and it's coming to the church. And we have to be willing to say, Holy Spirit, just speak to me. Just show me, Lord. Because it's not your responsibility and it's not my responsibility to point you know, wrongdoing out to other people. It's the Holy Spirit's. But we have to be willing to be praying for and to be honest with people. You know, sometimes people come up and they'll say to you, well, what do you think of this? Or they're just talking to you and saying, well, you know, I'm, you know, whatever it might be, living with my boyfriend, living with my girlfriend, you know, whatever it might be. And, and if you say nothing, then you're wrong. Now, you shouldn't say, you, <laughs> you don't come and, and, you know, make them feel like absolute idiots. But what you need to say is, you know what, brother, you know what, sister, that's wrong. According to God's word, it's wrong. I'm not judging you, but God's word is our judge, and he says it's wrong. And I'm not telling you this to make you feel like you're some kind of an unworthy, you know, evil person. I'm sharing this with you because I love you, God loves you, and he wants your life to be right with him. I've never, ever in my whole lifetime have been in a place where I'm walking in disobedience in certain areas. You guys all know what I'm talking about. You know, you've been there. You're walking in disobedience in certain areas, and you're kind of justifying it, and you're just kind of dragging it along, and, and you know, it's kind of dragging you down. And then you come to a place where you say, you know what, Lord? I'm making excuses. Forgive me, a sinner. And you just cast that off to him, and all of a sudden it's like, you feel awesome. God does not give us his commands as a burden. He gives us his commands really as a healing ointment because when we obey his commands we feel healthy we feel good now before the sprinkling of the blood around the altar um, which we read about many 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 other times before this we um, read something here that seems quite unusual Moses took some of the blood and first with Aaron and he anointed his uh, right ear his right thumb, and his right big toe. And you're thinking, what in the world was that? Why was he doing that? Everything we read in Scripture has meaning. Everything we read in Scripture is for our learning. Now, the right ear was purified that the priest would hear the Word of God. And not the world, but the Word of God. The world is always screaming in our ears, brothers and sisters, do this, do that, this is okay, this is okay, go here, go there. The world's always screaming all these things in our ears. Nope, my ear is anointed to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me do? I hear the word of the Lord. Then the right thumb. You know, most people are right-handed. You know, this is kind of a funny story. And uh, I was, two years ago, I was uh, proctoring um, a regents at uh, ESM High School, and uh, anyway, you know, you go around and students raise their hand. You talk to them a little bit. And, and uh, this one girl was taking the test. You know, she's left-handed. And I said, did you know that statistically left-handed, uh, you know, students do better on exams than right-handed students? She goes, no, no. And then a, a few of the students around me were just go, 
They put their pen in their left hand, just joking, teasing me, you know. But uh, anyway, but you get the point that I you get the point that I'm making. So we have to understand that we're supposed to put our right hand to the work of God. Our ears should only hear the word of God. Our right hand is for the word of God. And the right toe, the big toe, is that we might walk in the ways of the Lord. It's not enough to hear and to be willing to do. We have to do it. We have to walk in the ways of the Lord according to his word. Now, go to First Peter chapter 2, and I'm pretty much ending with this, not quite, almost. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. If you go to Revelation and turn left, it's easier to find. Okay. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. This is talking to all believers, all believers. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now, listen, the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Hallelujah! We've obtained mercy by his grace. Wow. And so just like placing the wave offering in in Aaron's hands and having them wave it before the Lord, um, which was just an indication, Lord, I offer it all up to you. We should be saying, Lord, I offer it all up to you. Because he has given you and I now as a royal priesthood, just, just as we read in Peter, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's all of us. Understand the ministry was not given to pastors and evangelists, but to all believers, every one of us. We have this ministry of reconciliation. And so we are the royal priesthood of God to proclaim the good news, the remission of sin. Unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, how many times have you said before you were saved, maybe when you were younger or maybe when you were older, oh, I, I wish I had it to do all over again. Have you ever said that? Oh, I wish I had it to... Well, guess what? You can. You can start all over again. You can have a brand new beginning. God, forgive me. And you move on from there. And the last ver- uh, portion I'm going to have you look at is found in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 and 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 18, I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. There is no reconciliation to God outside of Jesus Christ. And has given us, you and I, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Listen to this. Not imputing their trespasses to them. Aren't you thankful for that? And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, our loving Savior, took what he didn't deserve, punishment and death, and gave us what we don't deserve, salvation. Jesus didn't deserve to die on the cross. He was without sin. 
He died on that cross because when he hung there, he knew you and me, you and I, or you and me, that's right. He knew you and me when he hung on that cross. He was thinking of us. He knew us before the foundation of the world was laid, Scripture tells us. And so when he hung on that cross, he was loving you. And he died that all of your sin might be forgiven and that you might live a life of holiness and righteousness before him. And understand, a life of holiness and righteousness isn't a burden. That's the only peace you're going to have. You're never at peace when you're in sin. Come on, be honest. You're never at peace. And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation that we might share this true salvation with the people around us, with the lost in this world. Because we have a few military people in here. You'll understand this. None of us have been called to reserve duty. We've been all called to active duty. Every one of us are in active duty. Well, when you retire from active duty in God's service, you don't. You retire when it's over with and you're with Jesus. But we're all called to active duty. No matter, you know, people say, well, I'm, I'm you know, like I, I'm thinking, I'm 74, you know. And, uh, of course, I do have um, Nick here. He's older than I am. But, um, you know, you think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit old to be doing the work of the ministry. Moses was called to ministry when he was 80. Life begins at 80. <laughs> so we have to realize that we're not too old. We're not too young to be called to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we are active duty soldiers until the day we die, brothers and sisters. Father, thank you for your word and for the truth that we find in it. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you administer your word to our heart, to our souls, and to our spirits, that we might truly, truly, truly be your ambassadors, your ministers of reconciliation everywhere we go. And I pray and ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.